One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to Autographs. As usual, this is Tom Altrzewski. Tonight I'm joined by Justin Viber. How are you doing tonight, Justin? I'm good, Tom. You know, you just mentioned you were paranoid about getting the episode number correct, and then you didn't even mention it. Wait, did I not? No. <laughs> well, I, that's hard to believe. I just said it, and I can't even remember what I said. Well, if you're listening, uh, you could probably see on the article, this is episode 17. <laughs> Uh, at least I didn't say the wrong number. You know, the, the listeners are going to have to forgive us. I, I feel like we get a little squirrely <laughs> when it's just you and I, Tom. So that's true. <laughs> We've like built up like almost a feedback loop, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as you know, I've been doing a little pitch for the Autonew community. So I'll uh, jump on that. Uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, the Autonew community is a fairly new tool. Um, been around for maybe a month or two now. Um, but really picking up in the past past few weeks, um, Neil Shah, the creator of Autonew, created this community so that anybody can log in right from their Autonew account. Um, and it has a lot of forums to discuss trades, to discuss Autonew strategies, to chat about different things you'd like to see in Autonew or find out about different features. Uh, so if you want to check that out, you can go to autonew.community.com. Or if you just go to your league homepage, there's a little link up in the top right hand side. Uh, and we'd encourage you to check that out. We think it's been going pretty great so far, and we'd love to have as many owners as possible on there, you know, chatting, having a nice community. So we'll, uh, we hope you like it. Uh, now that we've got that out of the way, the topic for today uh, is something Justin came up with, uh, which is kind of things we've learned this season. Justin, do you want to kind of explain your idea in coming up with this topic? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think now is a good point. We're about two thirds of the way through the season. Um, trade deadline was today uh we won't really talk too much about that because it really didn't generate enough auto new conversation for a whole for a whole podcast but um now's a good time to kind of reflect on um what we've learned what's gone right what's gone wrong um you know some of it's i, I don't know not... about you but in my case <clears throat> a lot of things have gone wrong this season <laughs> uh yeah i i am i'm sad to admit that the same holds true for me um you know and a lot of it it's, it's it may not even be new things we've learned but just sort of a reinforcement yeah of uh you know points that we made in the off season or we made early in the season but again you know a lot of these things still bear repeating so um one one quick uh, i want to circle back real quick to the community um niv just earlier this morning posted a link posted a new message about a a redesign that he's working on right now um for the redesign of the of the look and of autonew um and he posted a link to a sort of an early logo idea for autonew so um, I would encourage anybody that, that might be interested in taking a peek at that. It sounds like he's going to update that thread um, and maybe slowly unveil some of the new design schemes for, for Autonew and, and possibly some new logos. So, you know, for those of you that are into that sort of aesthetic side of the site, um, it would probably be, you know, interesting to follow along with that thread to see to see where it goes. I have to admit, I, I looked at the one he linked to and it, it said that it was the the early logo ideas, but they were rejected. And 
I mean, they're pretty icons. I just didn't, I didn't care for them, but they, they're appealing. They're just, I don't think they fit. So I can understand why they were rejected, but I'm very, I'm I'm actually looking at that right now. I just clicked over. Yeah. Um, this is cool. I kind of like the pop of color, but I, I do. It's like a little retro-y. I'm like, maybe it's just that I'm used to the current auto new, you know, (laughs) kind of format of certain colors and the logo. Yeah, I mean, I and again, I don't want to take anything away from the designer because I don't have an artistic bone in my body. And uh, oh yeah, I know, could not draw a logo for the life of me. <laughs> so it's it's it looks nice. I just don't think it's uh, um, a fit for Audenew, and I, I guess Niv didn't think so either. But um, but I think you're right. I think anything that I the the final result, I have a feeling it'll still take a little bit of time for me to go. Wait, no, it's yeah. not the it's not the green on yellow that I'm used to. You know, or the and, you know, I would guess too that. Um... Yeah, probably anything Niv is looking at is going to incorporate maybe some elements, you know, so maybe like I know even when he created the community, he took care like to kind of capture some of the same colors. Right. I'm guessing anything new, maybe it would incorporate the green and white or something like that, but maybe in a new new shades, new hues of green, something yeah. like that. And punch it up a little so, bit, possibly. And, and I do think, too, one of the things that I'm sure Niv has heard the most and we've seen the most on the community and on Slack is um, I wouldn't say people complaining but just people kind of saying, you know, the gameplay of Adenu was really advanced and the interface at first was a little old school. It was a little hard to deal with. And Niv has made a lot of upgrades, you know, working on the lineup page, the roster organizer. Yep. Um, so I, I'd be curious to see if he feels maybe like he's kind of reached the the maximum he can do with the old format. And now he's going to kind of kick it to the next generation. Yeah, possibly. I mean, and I, I think it makes sense. I think the the core system is is pretty tightly wound right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's just kind of a lot of aesthetic and sort of customization things that I think are the big wish list items for a lot of auto new users right now. Um, so I think the redesign is very interesting. So I just wanted to go back and kind of plug and, and say that there's, you know, he posts some content on there. He's had sort of a State of the Union post. Uh, a little while ago where he was talking about some of the things that he had planned. So um, it's definitely a great way to to sort of take the pulse of, of you know, what the plans are for Audenew and, and then obviously the, the community of other owners there posting as well. So, um, yeah. but yeah, so back to the topic at hand. Yeah. Um, you know, what have we learned? And Tom already alluded to it, but personally, I haven't had such a great season. So this is definitely a time where it's, it's like, okay, so what went wrong? You know? And, and I think it's one of the things that Joe and I, um, I think we're, we're in agreement on this idea that sometimes the, the results may be bad, but the process was good. So being able to separate and say, you know what, I've had a bad season, but maybe it's not because I did anything wrong. Maybe it's just luck. You know, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of variance to this game and, you know, even the best projections can't predict what's going to happen in the baseball season. So well, is the robot overlord happy to hear you say that? <laughs> Look, you know, when I'm on a podcast, <laughs> that part of me, I, I, I can I can push him aside for, for uh, you know, it's for a different conversation. When we're in trade so. negotiations. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, one of the things I think um, the first one that I wanted to touch on is I think a really huge aspect is in Auditor, you've got the games played caps. You've got a games cap for each position. Um, you've got an innings pitch cap. You've anyone that's listened to this podcast, prior episodes, you've heard us say this before. It's a lot easier to meet your innings than it is to meet your games played cap. So it's often very important that you're always maximizing your lineup every day. Um, and one of the biggest ways to do that is to have 
enough players in your offense that you can be resilient when there's injuries. Um, you know, we often get asked a question on Slack or in the community, you know, how many, how many outfielders should I have? How many middle infielders should I have? How many catchers should I have? As many as possible. <laughs> and really, there, there is almost no maximum number that I would be comfortable yeah. <laughs> with, um, especially if you're looking at something like offense. I mean, first base and third base, I think, and utility, that sort of set is usually I'm not I don't often see myself going below the game cap. It's really outfield and middle infield um, that you end up chasing, especially outfield. I mean, you have five spots every day. And, you know, if you have a couple days where you're only starting three guys, you, you get behind the eight ball pretty quick. Um, so I think one of the big lessons and this is this was my focus. This is one of my focuses going into the season was being able to have depth throughout the hitter side of my roster to to be able to max out those games as much as possible. But, you know, you never know. Sometimes you roster, you know, there are guys that are like, well, I'll be OK with seven outfielders. Well, what happens when three of them are on the DL at the same time? You know, now you can't even start. Even if they all have a game that day, you're only starting four every day and, and you're you're very quickly losing games that you may never be able to gain back. So um, I think it's very important that you build your offense around the idea that you're going to have to go deep um, beyond just the starting lineup in order to fill all your games. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with that. And you're right that something we've harped on over and over again is the idea that, you know, it's it's easy to imagine losing your league because, you know, you started your last year shortstop for too many games and you lost some points for inning. But what I think people forget is, you know, let's say the best shortstop on your team scores five points per game. That's pretty good for shortstop. And then you've got a couple backups and one of them is only scoring three points per game. You don't necessarily want to start that guy because you feel like I'm losing two points per game. But that ignores the fact that getting three points per game is that much more than zero. That's a three point gap as opposed to the two point gap from three to five. Right. And you will kill yourself much, much faster if you get a couple of games essentially of zero because you didn't meet your games cap. Yep. than if you bite the bullet and play a couple bad games. And I, I think it's so easy to forget at the beginning of a season that you are going to have injuries, even if you have a fairly, um, a fairly young or a fairly healthy team, you know, you're going to have injuries. And not only that, you're just going to have, say a player gets dinged up for a couple of days and he doesn't go on the DL, but he misses say three games. You know, if you don't have somebody ready to step in for him right then, you might not be able to get those three games back. And that right. can add up even just these little dings here and there over the course of a season. If you don't have adequate preparation for that. Well, and that's, and, that, and that's just another case for, for having as deep a bench as possible is, you know, if you've got seven middle infielders and two of them get injured, you can still play matchups. You, you may not be forced to play that three points per game guy because yeah, you, that's a good point. you you can actually play matchups because you have a deep enough bench. Um, now, you can you can obviously go overboard. You can have more players than you actually need. Um, but I think even a warm body, you know, I think Joe's brought this up before, even a guy like, um, you know, Kevin Pillar or something, you know, an outfielder, you know, is going to play every day. Maybe he doesn't put up a lot of points, but it's a guarantee that he'll be in the lineup every day um, can help you meet those games that, like you said, a, a three points per game is better than zero. You get if you if you don't meet your cap forever, however many games you're short, that means literally you should have started anybody rather than than lose those games yeah, at the end of the one year point per game would have been better than zero. Exactly. And even and even the worst baseball players on average are going to give you two and a half, three points per game. So, um, you know, and one thing I, um, uh, we'll talk a little bit about this more when we get to 
one of my points on the list. One thing I've always thought about is that with your innings cap, I think you can be a little more aggressive maybe about sitting guys because if you have start a pitcher and he has a bad game, he could actually hurt you. You could get, you know, negative 20, right. negative 30 yeah. points if it's like a terrible matchup. Um, but with a hitter, the worst that's ever going to happen is probably a minus five if they go over five. Yeah, maybe in like an extreme situation, uh, they get caught stealing or something and you could do a little worse, but they're never just going to destroy your day. So I would always err on the side of starting a hitter and worst case scenario, you know, you could have taken the risk and tried to get a zero instead of a negative two or something. Mm-hmm. But I think many, many more times it will work out in your favor than against you. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, and, and and again, it's just a reinforcement that you don't want to leave those games on the table. And it may not end up being a lot. You know, even if you're short, if you're short 20 games, maybe that that means you missed out on 100 points. But you know what? I've seen plenty of leagues come down to. Oh, yeah to 100 points at the end of the year. It may not sound like a lot, but 100 points could be the difference between first and second or second and third or what, you know, could definitely be the difference between one place and another. So I don't know if we've discussed this on the show, but I actually had a league a couple years ago um, where it never actually was clear who won the league because this was (laughs) the year um, before Niv had settled on a new method for deciding when you go over innings pitched. Oh, yeah. And some of these results are actually the reason that he decided to make that change because there was a lot of consternation among owners. Um, But the reason we could never really determine the true winner is because it came down to less than 10 points. It was only in the single digits. So, you know, the difference between even starting two more outfield games could have been the difference between a clear win in that league and, you know, something that was that close that you could have potentially lost your league in the single digits of points. Yep. You know, and, and I think, um, you know, the other point to bring up is and, and this isn't just the offense side. It's definitely the pitching side, too, is guys get hurt a lot, yeah. <laughs> a lot more. Even even when we've played, you know, you and I for a couple of years now and in a lot of leagues every year, it just I feel like every year it's still a surprise. Yeah. Just how many guys, especially in Ottawa, where the leagues are so deep, it's just you can never have enough depth when an injury comes up. <laughs> and, and that was one of the reasons I kind of flagged this as the first thing I wanted to talk about with this topic is. It really is very important, and I don't have the, all the all the answers as far as how to best protect yourself against the potential for injury. And sometimes you just get snake bitten, and there's nothing you can do, and it's just not your year. Um, but I think you do also have to. Maybe it means that in some of my leagues, maybe I've been a little too willing to take on injury risks. A guy like Travis Darnold, for example, you know, um, kind of bite bite me in the butt a little bit this year, but. Um, but sometimes you, you have no idea and, and you can't really predict, predict the guys that are going to get hurt. Um, I think that having a, a deep offense helps cause you still have guys you can play every, every week. Um, and I think that with the pitching staff, not panicking too much, if you get a little bit behind the, the, the innings pitched pace, um, you can make that up later fairly easily. Certainly a lot easier than you can with the offense, um, with every position except catcher. Catcher is is kind of like pitching in that it's pretty easy to to make up games if you could fall behind there. So um all right, do you want to you want to start talking about one of your uh sure things you so, learned? Uh, <laughs> so to jump to a little bit of a different topic, the first thing I brought up um it's actually something that we almost could have talked about uh, early in the season. And that's that um essentially this should seem straightforward, but that the inflation or not necessarily even the inflation, but just the way an auction plays out every year is not always the same. And I think that's something, especially for some of the veterans, you know, like you, me, Trey, Joe, that do this. 
um, who've been playing for four or five years, uh, it was very easy to fall into a little bit of a pattern where it seemed like every year nobody really cut that many players at the cut deadline. And then you'd end up in the situation where at the end of an auction, there'd be a ton of guys available for, you know, less than $5, sometimes for one or $2. And I noticed at least in my own playing, and I, I think a couple of other, other owners fell into this trap. We came into this year and there was some evidence maybe that other owners had cut differently this year, that they had cut more aggressively, that inflation was going to be higher and it wasn't going to be possible to get those deals. And some of us kind of just fell back on the old logic and we said, nah, people will still make stupid decisions in the auction. You know, those deals will be available. And that came back to bite us a little bit because it, it really did turn out that auctions played out differently this year, not just in inflation being a little higher, but because a lot of owners who had been, you know, following us on Slack, listening to some of the podcasts, reading up on on a new coverage on Fangraphs, uh, they really followed some of that advice. And all of a sudden it was like playing against more experienced owners who were accounting for inflation in a way that maybe quite hadn't happened before. Uh, and I think really, to me, that was almost less of a lesson just about auctions and more of a lesson about kind of the value of complacence in a league like this. And if you play in an ESPN league or a Yahoo league, just kind of with random opponents or with people who don't take it all that seriously, it's easy to hit on a couple standard strategies. But I think what we need to remember in Adenu is that, number one, the opponents are really good. You know, anybody playing Adenu is a hardcore fantasy player who, you know, they're in it all offseason. They're researching all the players, all the prospects, um, but also just kind of a lesson in general about a complex league like Adenu that you can't get complacent and expect certain strategies to work out. You should always be trying to kind of look at your own strategies and determine, is this still valid? Do I need to move on to a more advanced version of this strategy? Uh, I actually think Joe Douglas, who records with us, he's a master of that in that he always seems to be a little bit ahead of the curve, figuring out some new strategy that a lot of times by two years later, everybody's onto that and he's moved on to something else. And I think we could all learn a little bit from the way he plays and that he's always really being pretty aggressive in trying to figure out where the next edge is going to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, inflation in general, it's a very complicated topic. It was something that I was, um, you know, I wrote a lot about and talked a lot about on the community and, and on the podcast when I was kind of harping on the concept of surplus and, and how to determine your keepers and how to build the best team going forward. And I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that the best way to do that is to own players for a lot less than they're worth. But I think you definitely there any any of the players that are kind of on the margins they are kind of on that, um, you know, they're right at par or maybe they're a couple dollars more than than you think they're worth. You get a lot of tough decisions in there. And, and I think that um, I think I probably kept too few players that were on that bubble. Um, and I think that might have hurt some of my teams this year. Um, one of the things that I think it came up in one of the discussions we had online was, uh, I think this was something Chad Young mentioned in theory, if everyone's acting with the best information they can have and with the best strategy they can use in theory, inflation should sort of equalize to 0% because let's imagine that everybody in the league assumes inflation is going to be 20%. And they want to be as rational as possible. So what should they do? They should keep anybody that's costs less than 20% more than they're worth. Because, you know, if I have a guy that's $60 and he's worth 55, then that's 
you know, 20% of 55 would mean that he's worth 65. And so he's worth keeping even at $60. So what ends up happening is if everybody keeps everybody at up to 20%, then that brings inflation. Inflation wouldn't be 20%. It'd be a lot less than that. So it kind of reaches a balance between the two forces. Exactly. If everybody's using that same strategy and if everybody's estimating inflation correctly, um, I think what we saw this year is I think in a lot of my leagues, we did see, um, teams being a little more conservative with their cuts. And that was based on, you know, talking about surplus. That was based on Joe's article talking about the fact that, that owners are keeping too many players when they, when they get to the keeper deadline. Um, but I think that, I think that a lot of times those keeper decisions, keeping too many players, I think the mistakes are made at the back end, the $5 players they keep for $8 because those are the guys that are a lot more replaceable. Um, the $60 Mike Trout's, or the $65 Mike Trout's, you know, they're not as easily replaced. So keeping them a little bit higher than you think they're actually worth probably makes sense. Um, you know, just to jump off of that, I think that raises an interesting point. Um, you mentioned about, say, a $50 player, and then if inflation was $20, you would keep him at 60 or 65 And I think um, that hits the nail on the head when it comes to a cheaper player, because say if you keep Mike Trout at 60 and he's slightly overpaid, that might only be a difference of a couple percent in terms of how many dollars he's overpaid. But if you take a player who you have at $10 and really by value, he's only worth two, you're keeping him at 500% right. too high. <laughs> you know, whereas if he's worth two and you keep him at three, you're probably fine. So I think it's like a difference of scale. The cheaper a player gets, the easier it is to miss by a huge percent on his value. <laughs> right. And the, and I think the more sort of downside risk there is, and you know, unless you think that there's a valid chance that that, that guy you're keeping for $10 that you think is only worth five, if you still, if you think there's a 20% chance he's a, you know, 20 or $25 player, maybe that, that skews things a little bit, but um, well, and then in that case, you really like it's it's almost a a fault then if you think there's a chance he's a twenty five dollar player, but you only have him valued at five, right? Because right, really, the be argument is in, that you should adjust your value exactly because it should exactly. be priced in, in into the price you have. But um, you know, the other thing I want to mention with with auction inflation is the the age of your league matters a lot. Um, I posted an article earlier in the year. Um, asking if if inflation goes up as as a league gets older and and I looked at all of the auto new leagues the fangraph points leagues and I broke them down into buckets based on whether they were second year leagues third fourth fifth and sixth and then I ran them through my surplus calculator to see in aggregate broken down by the the age of the league how much inflation there was and it was pretty clear there was one sort of aberration in the third year leagues where I actually had more inflation than the fourth year leagues but in general, there's not very much inflation in a, in a second-year league, but but it starts to jump up pretty significantly um, from there. And whether or not those inflation numbers are absolutely correct, I think still the trend is definitely there, that, that the older your league gets, the more you can expect that inflation is going to increase. There's probably a high end there, but maybe it takes more than six years to get there. Um, I'm going to look at this again this offseason and see if I start to see things leveling off and maybe six or seven years into a league is the peak. And then you start to see it kind of plateau a little bit. Um, And I think that's probably going to be the case. It probably is pretty close to six, seven, eight years into a league. Um, But that's another thing to keep in mind. If you're in a, a year one league right now. You bought a lot of guys that, you know, the, when you when you purchase the, the players you have, you bought them at a market rate in March or April. And most of those guys, the value is not too much different today than it was three months ago, four months ago. 
Um, whereas with a second, third, fourth year league, you have a bunch of guys that have been keepers and have had a bunch of surplus. So there's a lot more opportunity for you to keep that surplus and continue to sort of push the inflation percentage in your league. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm in a second year league and I have a guy like a $70 Mike Trout, I'm a lot more likely to cut him if I'm in a league that just started than I am in a league that's five or six years old because I know inflation is going to be a lot higher in, in the five or six year old league. So, yeah, I totally agree there. And I think, um, just real quick on that, I think one thing that's interesting about Adonu is that there are no six year leagues. You know, we're going to be going into the sixth year that Adonu has been available to the public this winter. No, this is so the sixth year. The oldest leagues the right now are now. in their sixth year. Yep. Oh, okay. Okay. But, but still, it's, um, it's kind of a thing where we can't quite answer what happens in a seventh or eighth year because not even is there a small sample size, there's no sample size. Right. So we're kind of crossing that threshold, you know, and observing those effects as they happen. And then, you know, as we pass through that, leagues that started in the second and the third year of auto news availability will start to have a little more precedent for what they might expect when they get to that point. You know, and not to mention, um, six years ago, baseball looked a little different than it does today. You know, last year we had a big spike in, in pitch, pitcher quality, and then the offense was at a historic low. And offense has ticked back up this year. But we've seen, even just in the last six or seven years, um, you know, the, 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 the league-wide totals have shifted. And that's affected values, I think. It's a little easier to find a, a replacement level pitcher these days because it seems like everybody's striking out eight guys in, in uh, every nine innings, and um, it's a little harder to find offense because there's really not a lot of guys that hit very well right now. So, um, what's fascinating to me too is that the way so the way this has changed in that it's easier to find a good pitcher. You could actually maybe argue the opposite of that too, in that you can find a pitcher who gives you the same points per inning. But the replacement level has actually risen. Right. So it's you can find that guy, but he may not be helping you as much. What's really interesting to me is the way that has impacted uh, the way you build a team, because if you're looking at a situation where, say, the pitcher replacement level is rising, it actually starts becoming more valuable to acquire pitchers because they're giving you more total points in the end as opposed to investing in your hitters. And, and I think we've seen some really interesting situations as teams have kind of tried to adjust to this uh, because I, I remember as recently as, you know, two, maybe three seasons ago, it was just a fact that you could win a league with a totally dominant offense and a decent pitching staff. And we've seen a lot more teams, I think, at least in my leagues where teams have a really dominant pitching staff putting up almost six points per game, sometimes points per inning, sorry. Um, and they're winning leagues with, you know, a decent or even a mediocre offense, um, which I don't think I saw any of in my first couple of years playing out of new. Yeah, well, it was a lot easier to not have a, I mean, you know, mediocre offense meant, meant something completely different three years ago. So right, I that's kind of what I mean. Like if, if you just had a mediocre offense, then it was still contributing a higher amount of points. Right. Whereas a mediocre offense now has fallen in relation to what you can get from mediocre pitching. Right. So it's kind of it's put more emphasis on winning through pitching because that's a more efficient way to win than it used to be a couple seasons ago. Yeah. I mean, so I, I guess my point is that even if we do keep collecting this data on, on inflation by year league, um, the age of a league, there's still no reason to know if it's, if it's actually that the effect of the age of a league, or if it's some other component having to do with the sort of the macro level of, you know, league 
totals in that particular year. So, um, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of different factors in there, but it's still interesting to track to see. And I think in general, it makes sense that as a league gets older, the inflation will go up because everyone um, has a little bit better opportunity to collect. You know, everyone's holding on to their surplus assets and getting rid of their worst assets. And eventually, um, that means you're collecting more and more surplus and getting rid of more and more of the guys at the top end, because I don't think arbitration is is aggressive to the point that it's going to counteract all the surplus that's generated every every offseason. So, um, yeah, I mean, you can see that in any single team. You know, a lot of times you'll have one player get hit really hard. And what's the first thing you say? Like, oh, thank God they didn't put their money on this guy instead. Right. You know, so it's it's not really possible to counteract all of a team surplus if they have a good team. And even if they have a weak team, sometimes you can't. <laughs> yep. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up, and I, I thought I did a good job of accounting for this this season, but I think I was was not aggressive enough, um, was the premium that, that middle infielders carry. Um, and I think that there's a very sort of interesting philosophical discussion, I feel like. There's a difference between the the inherent value that a player has based purely on, you know, the starting line of positions and how many of each particular position you need to fill out the game caps and everything. And then what that points over that, that baseline player is. I think there's a different conversation to be had about what a player's inherent worth is using those calculations and what you should bid for them. Because some of those players, the whole market is bidding more than a player is worth. I mean, we used to see this from the other side of the coin with relief pitchers relief pitchers the very best relief pitchers used to go for no more than 12 or 13 dollars i mean i know in my first couple of leagues i had i had a lot of success because i had kenley jansen or oldest chapman and, and craig kimbrell and and i might have owned two of the three for for less than 25 dollars total um where nowadays that you're not going to get a, a, a stud closer that cheap it, um and I think the the market's corrected the relief pitcher pricing, and some people would argue it's gone too high. Um, but I think right now, I'm always surprised by how much of a premium shortstops, especially, go for in leagues, where basically every shortstop's going for more than I expect. Now, my reaction normally in a situation like that is to say, "What? Well, okay, everybody's paying too much for a shortstop. I'm not going to chase, you know, everybody else." I'm going to wait and I'm going to pick up, you know, cheaper guys at the end that I'm not taking as big a hit on um, and find value everywhere else. I'm a very much a value based drafter. But the problem there is not only are they going for a premium at an auction, but they're also going for a premium in the trade market, too. So even if I think a shortstop's only worth $20 in terms of the production he gives you, if the trade market says he's a $25 player, then I can be justified spending $25 for him at auction because I know that ultimately – you know, if you have a, a stud shortstop and if you have two or three of them, that's a great problem to have because you can usually trade those guys um, and get a lot of value in return. So um, I think it's it's important to recognize that even though you can't maybe you don't think that shortstop should be worth more than than the points over replacement tells you they should. Um, sometimes you do have to adjust a little bit for for what the market rate is for some of these players. You can go overboard. You can go crazy and spend twenty dollars on a shortstop that isn't worth it at all just because he's a shortstop. But um, I think you can be sort of targeted in your ability to say, okay, I'll go the extra two or three dollars on this guy because he plays shortstop and because I know it's such a hot market um, even into the trade season. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting parallel to um, some of what I thought about the auction, which is that 
you know, it's great to come up with a strategy that's based on the data, based on the surplus. But essentially, sometimes you have to play against your league mates and not just against the computer. So sometimes what that means is you stick to your surplus or you stick to your values and you kind of say, OK, I'm going to let my league mates spend their money inefficiently and then I will reap the benefit. But sometimes what that means is kind of the converse that you have to look at what your league mates are doing and say, OK, by their actions, they're kind of creating a different environment. And instead of just holding on to the environment I plan for, now I have to adjust a little bit and play within the market that they've created. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think some owners get too hung up in following the market. Um, so I'm always going to advise that you kind of anchor yourself more to your values and less to what other people are doing. Um, but I will admit that I think that, you know, maybe I don't, I don't pull myself off my values enough when it gets to a situation like that, you know, where I'm forced to, you know, I'm forced to spend $8 on Starling Castro because there literally isn't a starting shortstop left and I need one, um, much less a backup, you know, so you can get into a situation where you're really stuck and, like I said, I think sometimes it's better to have too many middle infielders because they're such good trade assets. Everybody needs a middle infielder. That's pretty much always the case. Whereas, you know, it seems like in a lot of leagues that I'm in, it's very rare that a, that a team is out there looking for a first baseman because usually you have more than you need. Um, and I, I think something, too, that um, I thought about this as you were talking about, you know, the injury idea and making sure you have enough players to fill your gaps. I think there are certain positions, uh, third base, first base especially, are like this where – uh, say your first baseman gets injured and you don't really have a full-time player, it's pretty easy to go auction a full-time player. Even if he's the 30th best first baseman in the league, you can get a guy that's playing pretty much full-time and you can just plug him in. Right. But with middle infield, that's not the case. You know, a lot of times the top 10 free agents available are all like the backup or the super utility on a team, which yep. doesn't really help you that much in Adenu because you might not be able to start them the day that you really need them. So you have to be aggressive in making sure that you have everyday players, honestly, even if they're not that good of hitters, because you just need the bodies. You know, And that's true more at infield than at any other position. And, and it makes sense because, you know, there's 30 major league teams. Um, at most, you're probably starting, you know, maybe every team has two first basemen that they're starting. So there's 24 first basemen that there's always another six that are either going to be backups or they're going to be available on, on the free agents. Yeah, plus, but, you can steal some from DH or from maybe a position right, right. that's eligible so at that, first base. Exactly. But so that's kind of a maximum. But then you look at middle infield, every team has to start three. Um, you know, is so that's 36, and you're basically running through, you know, the top second base shortstop option. I mean, of most teams. And there's a lot, you get kind of get into the dregs a lot quicker, I feel like, especially because. Yeah. Even the worst first baseman in the league is still a decent hitter, but the worst second base and shortstop, they're usually there because they play good defense and they're not hitting. Um, so the, the, the sort of the, the drop off, I guess my point is the drop off once you get into the, the last 10 second baseman and shortstop in the league versus the last 10 first baseman, I feel like the, the drop off is a lot bigger at second base and shortstop than it is at first base. So I, I feel like there's even kind of a hidden drop off in that. You know, most teams have a starting first baseman. There's not many teams that do like a platoon first base. And even as far as DH, which a lot of those players are eligible at first base, you know, a lot of teams either have a starting DH or they have somebody that kind of moves between first base, DH, maybe outfield. So there's a, a good amount of guys that are full time players that are first base eligible with infield. 
you know, you're cycling already through the top 36 players just that have to be started. And you're going to own another, you know, 10, 20, maybe 30 in any league. And a lot of teams, you know, you might see that they have a starting shortstop, but say they platoon their second baseman or they have, um, you know, maybe someone like Logan Forsyth on the Rays for a while that played third base and second base. And you see a lot of situations where a guy might play most days, but he's a little more on the platoon side than on the side of a full time player. You know, so even when you're not in a case where you're picking up a pure backup player, you run a lot more quickly into those players that are maybe a 75% starter. And that, you know, is something that can still hurt you in Adenu. Because say if you have three different guys and they all play 75% of the time, there's still going to be a pretty good amount of days that none of them are playing. Um, Whereas at first base, if you have one guy that plays every day and then your backup plays 75% of the time, you're much more likely to have someone available every day and not start running into that games cap. Right. Yep. So and a lot of that, and you're right. So a lot of that premium also comes back to the point of it is more difficult to to meet games at middle infield than it is at at first base, third base, um, utility, and you know to a lesser extent, I think the same thing holds true with with outfield. Um, Auden is unique in that, well, somewhat unique, but they require five starting outfielders. So outfielders a little bit deeper than than in most typical leagues where you'd only start three. Um, but I also feel like it's it's much easier to find a, an outfielder on the wire than it is a second base for shortstop because there's always starting outfielders, MLB starting outfielders that are that are out there. They may not be great options, but they're like like I said mentioned before, when you're you just want to get a guy in there that you can get three or four points out of every game and not worry about it. Um, it's a lot harder to do that on the waiver wire with second base and shortstop, especially shortstop, because um, like you said, all, even the guys that are available on in, as free agents at this point, especially this point of the year. I mean, those guys are halftime players at best, usually. Um, yeah, I agree. I think at the outfield, you know, it is easy to run into a game cap problem, but it definitely also is easier than at middle infield to go pick up. You know, there's a lot of center fielders that are great real life players, but in Adenu, they kind of get ignored. So you can always go pick out a Kevin Pillar, you know, God forbid, Billy Hamilton, who I, I wouldn't advise owning except in emergency. <laughs> but there's guys like that out there that are pretty much full-time players in real life. And there's not quite that level of player uh, at middle infield. Uh, I don't know if that's has to do with the exact ratio of how many players get drafted. Uh, maybe it's just because uh, auto new teams are already being aggressive in picking up more infielders, which I think is the correct. Yeah, move. I think that's part of it too. Yeah. Um, whereas because outfielder is a little easier to fill, there's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy that people aren't quite as aggressive about filling up multiple outfield spots. Um, but it is, like I said, it's quite possible that that is the correct strategy for teams, and they're just kind of taking advantage of what they need to. Yeah, I mean, when I've when I've looked at this, I, one of the things I do every off season is I kind of look at a, a historical tracking of how many players at each position were owned in each of the leagues that I'm in. So, because I'm constantly, I, I do a lot of adjustments to my points above replacement based on on those historical results, how many first basemen have been owned, how many second base and shortstop have been owned, because I want to account for that. I do want to make a, an adjustment for, you know, the whole concept of a replacement level player is someone that you can actually freely replace. And if you can't go out there and get a shortstop, you know, with X amount of points, then that's not where the replacement level is. The replacement level is lower than that because that's what's available. Now it's not a literal, this guy's available. So he's replacement level, but it's sort of an aggregate idea that, 
you know, X number of second baseman, X number of shortstop are going to be gone. So this is approximately where that level is. Um, and one of the things that I was lo- that I thought was really interesting was like first base in order to meet your game caps for first base. And if you assume most of the time a first baseman is your best option at utility in order to meet the game caps, you need the league on in average needs like 24 first basemen to meet all the game caps. And usually that's right about how many there are drafted. Whereas the other positions, you only need like 34 and there's like 45 drafted. So basically every other position has a lot more players owned than are actually needed to play every day. Whereas first base, it's a lot easier to go out there and find somebody that's going to be adequate to replace even in your lineup because you just most teams just aren't rostering more than two first basemen. So you only have about 24 owned. Um, whereas with the middle infield positions, it seems like there's about 70, um, between second base and shortstop because each team is owning, you know, five or six of them. So I think one thing that helps too is, you know, there are a lot of players in Ottawa that are eligible at multiple positions. And, you know, obviously the same way that the defensive spectrum works, it's easier for a player who's eligible at certain positions to gain, say, first base eligibility. We see a lot of cases where, you know, maybe a guy who's a second baseman by trade, will be eligible at first base because, you know, over the course of a couple of games, he switched over there. Or he made a start in a pinch. But on the other hand, you never see a first baseman by trade, you know, happen to get shortstop eligibility. The, the closest we saw was when Miguel Cabrera regained third base eligibility. And that was a huge deal to see yeah. him add um, a, a position higher on the defensive spectrum. Actually, what happened is that he basically became a third baseman for auto new purposes for a few seasons. Um, but he's a good example of kind of my point that there's a lot of players who are eligible at first base. So say if you have a starting first baseman and then he's out a game, a lot of times you will have someone in your outfield or one of your infielders or a catcher, whatever, right. that you can plug in for a pinch. Whereas if you have a shortstop who misses a game, chances are you need to carry people specifically to fill that void yep. in a way that with first base, you can kind of piggyback on other positions yeah, or so- especially with utility. You know, you can always throw a shortstop in your utility position in a pinch right. and make sure you're not missing that game's cap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's absolutely true. I mean, if you anybody that looks at their, their roster right now, you probably have six or seven players that have first base eligibility. Right. I mean, most of those guys, you probably shouldn't be playing at first base, but they do have the eligibility. So you, right. you don't need to carry someone specifically for that purpose, because if it's only five or six games a year, right? You, you, know, you don't care if you throw a second baseman in there for just a couple games. Right, exactly. So, um, all right, we're, you know, we're running a little long on time here, Tom. So <laughs> we, we're not <laughs> well, even halfway through all the topics. I we was going to say, but... <laughs> we could always uh, bring some of these back too. Um, since a lot of these, you know, we have to pull back the veil. We've got a couple more things on our list, but I'm sure they'll be um, relevant at another time, uh, anytime, even in the off season. Do you want to maybe move to our, uh, our fun section? <laughs> Uh, sure. Yeah, we can. Okay, so why don't we save some of these other items that we can we can talk about them at a different time. So I'm sure in the winter we're going to be uh, begging for <laughs> topics. So maybe it'll be good to spread some of these out. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to make a note of these other things that we we identified <laughs> so we can talk about them again. Um, all right. Did you did you grab a list of stuff that you wanted to to, to quiz me on some blind trivia here, or do you want me to just start attacking you with mine? Uh, sure, maybe I'll go first. I only have a couple because okay. um because I came up with a few at the last minute. Um, anybody who's heard us do this before, they know that uh, I get a kick out of players with the worst performances in Ottenu. <laughs> Something about negative points always cracks me up. Um, so I got a couple here for you to guess. Um, first of all, the lowest negative points of any hitter. Do you have any idea who that would be? Year to date? 
Uh, yeah, this is just total points year to date. Oh, geez. He he has, in a sense, the most negative points. <laughs> right. Um. Wow. I know early in the season, very early in the season, it was Russell Martin because he was so terrible over the first <laughs> I month think I plus, did bring that up at one point. <laughs> I know he's turned around things quite a bit. I'm trying to think of a hitter that's just been that bad and that's still playing enough to keep to stay in the negative. I mean, that's hard to do. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you a little clue. Yeah, I need some sort of hint. You, you don't need that many games because you can. It's a little different than pitching where you can keep racking up negative points. Um with with hitting almost the best way to do this is to rack up some negative points and then like get injured or you know get sent to the minors <laughs> so you don't have any chance to improve <laughs> uh. um so i'll i'll tell you he has 18 games played or or sorry i'm lying he's been on two teams that's another clue he's oh. had 33 games played oh he's been on two teams you're going to have to just tell me i can't even i can't even make a guess what if I tell you his position? Okay. He's a catcher. <laughs> that was my first guess is that he was probably a catcher of some kind. Yeah, somehow I think catchers, because Martin was in this case too, it's almost easier for catchers to do this because sometimes they have like a very sporadic playing cycle. Yeah, I mean, usually it's like a backup and, you know, they're only playing once or twice a week and they're and a lot of times the backup's not there because he's a good hitter. So, Right. Well, you're on the right track. <laughs> um, you know who I'm going to guess? I'm going to guess... Um, John Murphy. Oh, uh, that's a good yes. He has not been good this year. Um, I think he might be negative. I'll give you the answer. It's Eric Kratz is doing a little worse. He's at negative <laughs> 22 points. Wow. Yeah, which it doesn't sound like that many compared to some of the pitchers we'll talk about. But for a hitter, that's pretty extreme. <laughs> wow. And well, that's what's actually 87 plate appearances. What's really impressive, too. <laughs> is he has negative points for both teams that he's played for. So this isn't like he had a terrible, you know, one week and then got traded or something. He has a negative 12 points for Houston and negative 10 for Pittsburgh. <laughs> wow. He actually had. Yeah, I was going to say well, back in 2011 or 2012, I remember I he he got some playing time at the very end of the season. I think Ruiz might have gotten hurt when he was back when he was with the Phillies. Yeah, and he actually that. put up a, a 339 Woba through through 50 games that season. But, yeah, that's rough. You know, I should have <laughs> known better on Murphy because he's actually in Rochester right now. Um, I think he's he's playing Rochester right now because he got demoted, but he hasn't really been playing for for the Twins any. But yeah, I think he well, although he is kind of a, a case, like I said, he was up early, established some negative points, and then got sent down. So he hasn't had a chance to repair his reputation. <laughs> you know, my, my other guess was going to be Bregman because he was like 0 for 16 to start his career. And, oh, yeah. Um, I but thought that's, it was... that's kind of the crazy thing is that if you go 0 for 16, that's only minus 16. Right. You know, which it's like pretty hard. You have to go <laughs> 0 for 22. Wow. And like not even if you go one for 22, you ruin it. <laughs> well, OK, so here's here's Kratz's line in 87 plate appearances. He has a one point one percent walk rate. He's striking out thirty six point eight percent of the time. <laughs> he has an 059 ISO. That's that's what is it like one double. <laughs> that's two doubles and one home run. <laughs> oh, it's better than I thought. And uh, that's a one thirty five BABIP. So his his slash line is 094, 105, 153, and that's a 111 Woba. <laughs> now, think about that, too, that 
you know, when you hit a home run, that's 14 points. Doubles are, what are they, like 5.7 or something? Yep. So he actually managed to score about 30 points of positive, which means that he had to put up like another 50 plate appearances without hits well, in order has, to drag it down. Well, he only has one walk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he only has um, five singles. So – Every other plate appearance has been a negative – every other at-bat is a negative one because you get a negative one for each at-bat. So I, I think this is funny. If you look at – I'm just looking at his um, uh, his auto new page that has it split it, out by it, team. We're, we're spending way too much time on it. <laughs> <here. laughs> well, so I, I was just saying that he has to have about 50 plate appearances um, of nothing. If you actually split it, he's got 30 plate appearances with Houston. If you put all of his hits, everything, into those 30 plate appearances, it would still be bad. And then you have the other 57 plate appearances where he effectively went over 57. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Do good. you want to do one or you want to do my couple guys first and then we'll switch to yours? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do uh, one real quick. I, I wanted to quiz you and see if you could guess who the I looked at the three players that were most added over the last 30 days. I think some of this is going to be obvious and I think some of it uh, one of them I think is a little less obvious. But all right. Well, I'm going to start with a guy that I just added Mauricio Cabrera. No. Is he anywhere on the list or do you I should, know? I should, I should pull that up. Uh, okay. Why don't you make another guess while I look and see? Uh, hmm. This is tough because in Adenu, like almost everybody's owned. Yeah, we're, pa- um, we're past the point where most of the draftees have been added. So they wouldn't yeah, be in the last 30 days. It wasn't Guriel, right? He's more than a week ago. No, it, this is 30 days, not seven. So. Oh, oh, 30 days. Is it got to be Guriel, So right? Guriel is number one. Yeah, he's been, oh, okay, he's okay, been okay. added in, in Probably 80. Probably almost every league. Well, he, actually, it's only 86 and three quarters. So there's still more than 10% of leagues that he hasn't been added in. So You know what, though? I think, um, I think some of... Some of that counts defunct leagues, doesn't it? Because there's a couple leagues out there that, you know, they still own like Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter. It looks like the peak is no players owned in more than 96% of leagues. So I, I guess okay, so there's we still another good 10%. Is dead. So, but there's – right. So there's 10% of leagues basically that he hasn't been added in. Interesting. So for some reason I, I had in my head that you had said the last week, not the last 30 no, no, days. No, no, sorry. Which last, is, last 30 days. All right. So Cabrera doesn't make that much sense because he has been picked up uh, probably more if you go just by the last week. Uh, actually, he's been added more over the last 30 days than he has over the last seven. No, oh, I don't know. Just don't listen to anything I'm saying. <laughs> he's <laughs> well, on I the got list, Carino, but he's, right? he's so like, at least I got one. <laughs> he's like down in near 15 for, for most added in the last 30 days. So it wasn't a bad guess. It's just he's not one of the okay. he's not one of the answers there. Um, yeah, top three is tough. Uh, All right. Here's a here's a clue. One of them is okay. a pitcher who who made his season debut just uh, within the last two weeks. Hmm. Uh, but no, it's, I wanted, I almost wanted to get Giolito for a second, but that's stupid. He's <laughs> no. been owned in like every right. league. Um, hmm. West coast. He might, he might've been the focus of one of my articles recently because steamer loves him. Wait, wait, hold, it's not Clayton Blackburn, is it? No, it's not Clayton. Oh, Blackburn. Oh, oh. <laughs> that would have been a, a nice coincidence. No, it's not Clayton Blackburn. He's not owned. Uh, hardly he has I was going to say, I thought I would have heard if he had made his debut. <laughs> I thought there would have been like fireworks. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Do you, do you want to talk? I'm, yeah, okay. I'm not going to so guess. <laughs> you're probably going to you're, you're going to face palm when I tell you who it is. Wait, is it a starting pitcher or yeah, a relief yeah, pitcher? Yeah, it's starting a starting pitcher. West Coast. He just just made his first start in the last two weeks. Yeah, I probably am going to kick myself. It's going to be somebody I definitely know about. It's Tyler Skaggs. 
Wait, he, had, he had been in the majors before, hadn't he not? He had, but I, I didn't mean MLB to be. I, he, he made his debut oh, he for made this his year. season debut. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed him at pitched, all. <laughs> he hadn't pitched since 2014. So yeah, I was gonna say he's been out for a long time. Yeah. So he's been added in more than just over 50 percent of leagues in the last 30 days. Um, you know what? That makes a lot of sense because I'm sure he was somebody that people probably didn't even bother adding at the beginning of the season. He was like a post bust, and you know now that he has come back, all of a sudden people are just desperate for anybody who's. Yeah, shows anybody, any that, talent anybody that's shown up. a pulse. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then the third one is the one that I would never have guessed, but I keep seeing his name when I when I looked at this and I don't get it. It's it's Ryan Dull. Um, oh, you know what? I added him in ESPN because I think he might become the A's closer. Uh, so I was just kind of speculating. Yeah, um, I mean, and I guess that. that I guess that's why. And I mean, he has a good ERA. He's got a 2.01 ERA right now. But I mean, his BABIP is 168. And he's yeah, like, I don't think he's necessarily that special. He, he's actually the same reason, I guess, Mauricio Cabrera, like basically uh, for that same reason of kind of closer speculation. Right. So, I mean, I guess I can see that, but, you know, it's just odd to me. I mean, I could easily see him being in like the top 15. It's a little surprising to me that he's all the way in the top three. Yeah, he's one of the top three added over over the last 30 days. So similar question. But right. this was the one you were answering in the first place. Who's the top three? Who are the top three players added in the last seven days? Okay. Well, this, I know it's not Mauricio Cabrera. <laughs> no, this might be tougher. Hmm. Um. You know, can I ask for a clue of like, can you tell me kind of how much of the level of these guys being added is? Is it like 100 percent or 50 no, no, no. percent? Number one has been added in thirty five point seven. Okay. I, I was thinking in seven days it had to be a much lower percentage. Yeah. Um. I'm trying not to like look at any leaderboards or anything and just completely guess off the top of All my right. head. I'm going to give you two clues. Okay. The first clue, okay. one of the three players we already talked about for most added over the last 30 days. Oh, <laughs> wait, is, is he one of the same players? Yes. Yes. Of the top three. Y- yes. So one, <laughs> one of the players that was added over the most, right. I'm going to guess the that's th- Ryan Dahl then. No. Ah. And it, it can't be Guriel. He was too far ago. <laughs> right. So it's Skag. Skag has okay. been added. <laughs> that he, makes sense if number, he just debuted recently. Right. He's number three on the list. He's been added in 21.5% of leagues. Um, yeah, so actually most of his being added – well, not quite. Well, he's at half 50, he's has at been 50, in the last Yeah, week. he's at 50% over the last 30 days. So he's still – I think he had, he had a couple of really excellent rehab starts, and I think that's when – People first started taking notice of it and adding him. Three, I was just going to say, in Adenu, like a lot of times you get that speculation yep. because people do want to strike early because if they wait, someone else is just going to get him. Yeah, and I think there there wasn't any doubt that he was probably going to get a chance at some point because the, the Angels rotation has been kind of a mess. So Right, he um, might not be good, but at least you'd get a chance to see what he could do. Right, I think a lot of people added him as a speculative pickup. So your other clue is the other two guys are both on the same team. <laughs> Interesting. And they're both names you probably wouldn't have even heard of before the season started. Oh, geez. I, I've been out of it for the past like couple weeks. I so might not even have heard of them right now. Best, you may not be the best person to play <laughs> Wait, this game with right let now. Let me think for a minute. Uh, so have they made their debuts? Yes, they're both playing. Just recently? And, and, and given some recent trades, they're actually both pretty much guaranteed full-time playing time the rest of the way. Hmm. Which is part of the reason they've probably been added so much. Uh, oh, who's the guy that I just added in champs? I, I added him just to speculate. Uh, all right. I, I am going to look him. I'm not looking up his add ability numbers. I'm just looking up. Uh, you can't remember who oh, you Jorge Polanco. <laughs> no, it's not Jorge Polanco. I, I literally I somebody put him up for auction 
And I just looked at him and I was like, all right, I'll bid two dollars. And I got him. <laughs> I barely know anything about him. <laughs> all right. I'm going to give you another clue. And and I, you may not even get this after I give you this next clue. <laughs> <laughs> they both play for the Padres. Both play for the these, these everybody guys are, on the Padres is like a nobody now. And that's and that's part of the reason this is fun is is these oh. are two guys that like I said, I'm I hadn't heard of either of these players before the season started. Oh, give me a second. There's one name like on the tip of my tongue. I'm trying to see if I can <laughs> like kind of just just think about it and maybe he'll come to me. We we've lost all listeners at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, this is fun. I, I do think if anybody's at this point, this is like fun to listen to us struggle to get these guys. I, I give up. Who is it? All right. I'm going to give you one last clue. And if okay. you can't get it now, then you definitely don't know who this guy is. One of them, uh, his last name kind of sounds like a, like a crustacean. <laughs> oh, is <laughs> I, I, I literally, he's still, I almost, um, Oh, 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 Ryan Schimpf. Yes. <laughs> That's who it is. <laughs> he is I remember looking at his name and thinking yes. it was – I couldn't even believe it was a real player. <laughs> he is. He's the most added player in Ottawa over the last seven days at, at almost 36% of leagues. So. Uh, That's funny. I actually remember seeing somebody put him up for auction like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, he's, and that was where I first heard of him. I didn't realize he had – been getting added more recently yeah he he's i i had a couple leagues where i meant to place a bit on him and i i didn't i guess because then i was surprised when he got one for you know two or three dollars i actually was gonna <laughs> gonna add him because he's been i'm spoiler alert for the next segment here but he's he's been red hot so um yeah so that can, was <clears throat> I, I had looked at him and i was kind of surprised just because i had never heard of this guy he like wasn't a prospect or anything and i saw that he was like red hot um, but I'll admit, I kind of was like, eh, I don't buy it. He's on the Padres. So I'll be interested to, to read what you write about him. So <laughs> Who, the, who's the other guy? <laughs> so the next guy um, is his teammate. You, can you think of a teammate on on the Padres? That, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I could name some Padres, but not. I don't I can't think of anyone else that debuted. The, their outfielder, Alex Dickerson, is number two with, with oh, over 29 percent of leagues. I've just seen that name around a little bit. And I actually almost was thinking, like, maybe I should check that name out. But I honestly if you told me his name, I wouldn't have even been able to tell you he was on the Padres. Right. I mean, and he has a, is he related to Corey? I don't think he is, um, <laughs> but he's hitting a lot better than Corey right now. <laughs> he, that's he, not that hard. <laughs> well, he was raking in triple a and he's got a three seventy four Woba in, in 89 plate appearances so far with the not Padres. Bad. So and he's not striking out much and he's hitting for a lot of pop. So it's kind of an interesting, you know, I mean, I didn't, I wouldn't say rush out there and bid, you know, seven or eight dollars on either of those guys. But I mean, um, certainly, you know, you what know, we talked about with infield, it couldn't hurt to win Schimpf for a couple dollars. And yeah, see I mean, he's get. he's second base eligible. I think he's also outfield eligible. And with the trades that the Padres have made this week, Dickerson is probably going to play full time the rest of the way yeah. or, or, you know, three quarters of the way. I couldn't believe um, that Matt Kemp trade, by the way. Like they basically yeah. this has become almost a popular move for a couple teams to trade a player away, give up his whole salary and trade him for a guy that you immediately cut. It's almost more of an auto new move than a real life move. Right, right. right. <laughs> Cuz really you're just you're really just trading for money, but you know, you It's like a way to do it without just straight up trading the guy for But how a would pile that feel that you get you get traded to another team and then they immediately tell you, "Yeah, just kidding. We 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 are actually cutting you." Uh, you, you well, I think on the other hand too. How does it feel to be Matt Kemp? And, you know, because players always talk about like it kind of hurts to get traded, even if, you know, they traded you for someone good. Like it feels like they gave up on you. 
So to get traded and then to look back and see they just cut the guy <laughs> that they traded you for, like that must be uncomfortable to say the least. So I'm just going to real quick. I looked at the last 30 days. Um, this is for Audinu Fangraphs points. And I wanted I was going to pick out some of the, the high the guys at the top of the, the leaderboards over the last 30 days that I thought were kind of interesting. Um, the first one is Ryan Schimpf. He's the number nine hitter overall in all of Ottenew over the last 30 days wow. for Fangrass points. He's at a 435 Woba, and that's 7.65 points per game. So he has been dynamite for the last three days hot <laughs> and no i don't think that it's going to continue but he's actually got some fairly decent uh projections so he he i think is a is a guy you could think about adding if he's still available in your league as a as a middle infield option the rest of the way at least a you know as we've harped on earlier tonight as your fourth fifth sixth option maybe a middle infielder i think you could do a lot worse than a guy like him right now so Especially um, if you're in contention and you just want to make sure you're totally safe, you're not going to miss right. your middle infield games. Exactly. I think it's it's kind of interesting because it's kind of a catch-22 where a guy like that you'd think might be a good target for a rebuilding team. But if anything, I think he's probably better as a short-term, short-term target because yeah, I, agree. <laughs> you know, I don't know that he's going to have much of a career, but – um, if he's hitting well right now and he has a job, then, you know, maybe you can plug him, plug and play him a little bit uh, the rest of the way. So um, yeah, I think it's almost more about the job. Like, basically, he seems like he's hit well enough to earn himself like a look through the end of the season. Right. Which is really all you can hope for at this point, you know, even beyond any hope that he'll be good or even this good. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, with the trade deadline and then in, in another 30 days, we've got the the September rosters expand. Um a lot of playing time situations are in flux right now. So, you know, you could have some guys that were starters and they just traded for somebody, bumps your guy down to a platoon role. You know, there's a lot of that at the back end of rosters right now. Yeah. So um, sometimes it can be important just to find somebody that you know is going to have a job the rest of the way. Um, the other guy I wanted to highlight has actually been a little bit better than Shimp is Justin Turner. Um, he was a, a guy that I owned everywhere last year because he was a middle infield eligible and, and I thought he was going to hit really well. The projections really liked him. Um, he's only third base eligible this year and he kind of got a, a slow start to the year, but he's been really, really good. Um, the last 30 days, he's the number six hitter overall in, in auto new at 8.21 points per game. Um, and I'll take that. <laughs> Even at third base with yeah. with uh, a higher replacement level than than like a guy like Schimpf who's got second base eligibility. Um, and then on the pitcher side, <laughs> this is kind of sad, personally. Um, the number one pitcher over the last 30 days. Do you think you know who it is? This is number total points, not necessarily over the last 30 days. Total points, not necessarily. You know, there might be a guy that's that's just below him that actually has better points per innings pitch. But this hmm. is the, the, the number one total points starting pitcher uh i don't know i'm probably not gonna guess it but just give me a second to trying to like think about who i've seen you know like news stories about them being real hot right <laughs> i don't know and you said it's someone i'm not gonna guess so it's probably not no i didn't say that necessarily oh. but it's it's a guy that i i was very surprised to see him number one uh, yeah, I don't know. Just tell me. I we've been on for a long time. <laughs> well, well, he has. Let's just say this: he has a really amazing set of initials. A really amazing set of initials. Yeah, you might share his initials with me. Another another JV. Wait, Justin Verlander? Yes, 
Oh, I, I would not have guessed that. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't have either. Now, I think I had posted something on Slack a couple weeks ago because I was looking at um, the top uh, – the best performances over the last calendar year because I like to look at that every once in a while. And he was actually had the most war of any starting pitcher that's currently in the AL over the last calendar year was Justin Verlander, which I was wow. shocked by. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he now part of this is is by virtue of having six games start in the last 30 days where most of the other guys on this list only have five. Um, but he has 283 points in 42 innings, which puts him at about a 6.63 points per innings pace. Wow. Uh, innings pitch pace and that's i'll be honest i thought verlander was done i haven't even been paying really any attention to him if he's been on someone else's team you know pitching well i have not known about it (laughs) yeah i mean his peripherals still aren't great um he's got a 388 xfip but right now he's um he's he's thrown with a 349 fip 354 era he's striking out over nine per inning so um he's been a sneaky good auto new starter this year and certainly over the last uh, 30 days there. So um, the next one I want to highlight is the number five starting pitcher over the last 30 days. He actually has the same points per innings pitch that Verlander does, but in less innings. And this is probably even more surprising to me um, than Verlander was. And uh, it's Jay Happ. Yeah, I did not believe in Jay Happ really yeah. at all this year, but, but I have seen that he's, um, I mean, I don't know if I totally believe that he's been legit all year, um, but he's been doing more than I believed he could do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's got – over that last 30-day time frame, he's striking out over 12 guys per nine innings, which is unlike him. Um, you know, even when he was was pretty good in Pittsburgh last year, he wasn't striking out. I mean, he was almost – he was over nine, but he wasn't anywhere near, you know, anything over 10 would be kind of crazy, but – um, yeah, I mean, I always thought of him a little almost more as like a junk baller who would kind of trick guys but didn't really have overwhelming stuff to strike out that yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, for the season, he's at 7.63. So, you know, even with the last five starts being at over 12, it still only brought his caper nine up to to a little over seven and a half. So, but he's been really hot over the last uh, five starts there. That's 31 innings for, for the Blue Jays. So it's kind of crazy. But, you know, I don't know what what if those were a lot of road starts or what over the last, <laughs> those last five games, it looks like, no, actually it looks like four home starts and one at Oakland. So that's kind of, that's kind of nuts too, that he's pitching that well in, uh, in Toronto. So, um, all right, real quick, the very last one that I wanted to mention. All right, and then I have one more for you and then we'll wrap okay. it up. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, the number one relief pitcher over the last 30 days and uh, I, I would never have guessed this, not in Crap. <laughs> 100 guesses. Um, your only hint, I'll is, give you a hint. Is this in it, total points? It, it is in total points, but it's this isn't a guy that necessarily has that many more points than, or this, that many more innings than anybody else. So, Okay, so it's, it's not like it's, somebody who has like a ton of innings and terrible right, stats. <laughs> exactly. He has maybe like one or two more innings than everybody else, but really it's... Okay. I was been, almost going to guess like someone like Adam Warren that has been bad, but nope. who pitches in big chunks. <laughs> nope. He's got 12 games and, 11, and 13 innings, so it's he's still a one-inning mm. guy, so... And did I get a clue? Or was uh, that the clue? No, <laughs> no, no. Your, your clue is that he pitches for the Mets. Uh, Hansel Robles. Nope. Duh. <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> I 
how many Mets pitchers am I even <laughs> expected to know? Well, there's the obvious one, uh, Juris Familia, but it's not him oh, either. I, yeah, I was going to say it's definitely not their closer. <laughs> um, it's Addison Reed. Oh, interesting. That is in his last – that's 13 innings. That's 161 points, which is 12.38 points per innings pitched. And that is um, – a 13.15 K per nine, and he's walked nobody over those Ooh. 13 innings. That's how you do it. <laughs> and, you know, he's only – it's a 29% ground ball rate, so he's been a little lucky not allowing a home run either. Um, but he's striking a ton of guys out, and he's not walking anybody. Well, and, and, and wasn't that the knock on him? I remember when he first <clears> came up that he, at that point, wasn't necessarily a huge strikeout guy, but he got ground balls, and people wondered if he was going to be an effective closer. Um, so maybe this is kind of like his – his peak form, not that this well, is what he'll keep up, but this is like the highest ideal of his style. <laughs> well, he's always been a, a fly ball pitcher. So, I, oh, yeah, maybe I remember that wrong then. Yeah, he's always been a fly ball guy, um, but he's been a guy that that's had high strikeouts and you mm-hmm. know you could live with with some of the home runs that he allowed because he was striking guys out and had pretty decent control. But but this year he's basically got career numbers right now in K per nine and walks per nine. So nice. And for the whole year, I mean, he's got 11.42 K per nine and a 1.63 walks per nine. And uh, he's actually got a much lower ground ball rate over the last 30 days than he does for the whole season. But um, now part of the reason his points are so high is that's 10 holds over the last 30 days, which is kind of insane. Um, So that's part of it. Why he's got more points than anybody else, because that's the most holds over the last 30 days. But. Right, Still. just kind of the luck to have those games yeah. clump in a certain order. But but even if you even if you cut that in half, I mean he's still um you know, he's still got you know, like eight or nine point pace, even if you took away half the holds that he's had. So Well and I would guess Familia probably pitched in a lot of those games and he's not ahead of him. <laughs> right, right. Yep. I think uh, you know, I, I just I just closed out of the list, but I feel like Familia struggled a little bit recently, so um, yeah, and, and especially in a short sample like that, like one bad game can take you out of the running. Yeah. So, all right. So, what was the one you had for me as as we approach? Uh, all right. So this well is um, an hour. This is a simple one, a little bit of a two part, uh, but I think you might be able to guess it. Um, maybe once I give you a clue. But the simple question is um, just to match uh, Eric Kratz, the lowest negative points of any pitcher. <laughs> oh, of any pitcher for the season. And then, and then tell me if you need a clue. <clears throat> I, I had not, another one lined up, but this one's more fun. I, I know who it was early in the season, and I'm wondering if it might still be he, he might still be there. But it um, is it Tom Wilhelmson? Um, it is not. Let me see where he's ranked though. While if you I feel like he had guessing. like a negative twenty or thirty, like really early in the season because he got blown up. Um, um, I'm not seeing him on the first page here. Let me see. So he's got more than negative 15, at least, which isn't that high of a bar. Well, I think he's been pitching better as of late. So, yeah. And and honestly, even like a couple of good games can get you, you know, back up to zero, at least. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm trying to think of what pitchers have just been. Awful. Um, Well, I know even though he's got a, a, a. 80 grade name. I'm pretty sure that Brooks Pounders has been pretty bad in his short stint. Is, is he up there? He's at minus 23, um, which is not that close numerically to the worst, uh, but he is, uh, looks like he's about the 15th worst tied with a couple guys. Oh God. Do I get any clues? Any other clues? Uh, okay. Uh, I'll give you 
Uh, first clue. Well, here, here, this clue will be more fun for you. You might have actually seen this guy make an appearance recently that contributed to where he ranks. I might have seen. So he's a. Oh, I know who it is. Oh, uh, do you? <laughs> is it um, Brian Mattis? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so and just like Eric Kratz, uh, Mattis is negative in both of his stints. Um, one of them with the Cubs, one of them uh, with the Orioles. He's over negative 30 in both of them. Wow. Which is yeah, cause he had extremely a, impressive. He had a really bad start um, yesterday as part of that crazy game yesterday. <laughs> and and I don't know. You may know this already, but he's already been designated for assignment. I, I, I was just looking at his player page. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that note that he's. He's been designated for Simon. Yeah, it was interesting because when he he got picked up from the Orioles, you know, it's like, oh, are they going to pull an Arietta again? And it's like, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> All of wow. Arietta's like whatever magic he used, like sacrificed Mattis. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he's been bad. So, yeah, with, with Baltimore, he pitched six innings, which I think was all relief appearances. Yes. Um, And managed to give up three home runs, 11 hits, only one strikeout and seven walks. And actually, he has a hold mixed in there, too, which I don't know how he managed that. Um, well, because that's that's the only he had a, a one third of an inning, got one guy out, and got a hold. Oh, he like scraped through. That was by far his best his best <laughs> appearance. Every other appearance has been pretty terrible. Yeah. And then um, the appearance that you would have seen, the one with the Cubs, three innings, three home runs, uh, only two walks hit by pitch and six hits. So. Yeah, because they um, that's pretty bad. He put up negative 35 in one appearance. <laughs> well, what's crazy is like Madden, he had he had, had a soundbite where he said that he was basically he was trying to stick somebody in to push the rotation back a day to give everybody a little bit of a breather. Just because I mean, I think this that might have been the I think that was the second start this entire year by somebody that wasn't in the, you know, the top five pitchers on the in the Cubs rotation. So basically they've they've been 100 percent healthy. Everybody's taking their turn in the rotation. And this is only the second start. And it's like, you know what? That worked out great. You know, <laughs> why not? Why not just keep? I mean, I know why they did it. I, I understand the rationale. But yeah, he was it was not good yesterday. And yeah, that's crazy. That's that's he's got a he's got a three strikeouts per nine and nine walks per nine and <laughs> six home the runs per nine because <laughs> he's pitched nine innings. He's given up right, six so, home runs. So real, well, you may have seen this already, but uh, if you haven't, Jeez. then can you guess? Uh, but if you if you have. Then we'll just say it. Can you guess what his FIP is after this? Um, I, I glanced at it. It was like uh, eleven or twelve or something. Right? Worse, <laughs> yeah, fourteen point four seven. His ERA is actually better than his FIP at only fourteen. At 14, yeah. <laughs> hey, he's got an eight five six x FIP. So that, this is a guy you want to buy. That's a gap of uh, over six. <laughs> yeah, that's that's he's he's due for some positive regression there. <laughs> Wow. Uh, and, you know, the, the crazy part is, is that he actually he had two starts um, in AAA for the Cubs and he pitched pretty well. He had he had 10.61 Ks per nine, 2.89. <laughs> the crazy thing nine. about this is his K per nine in AAA is closer to his walk rate in MLB. Yeah. And his walk rate in AAA is closer to his strikeout rate in MLB. <laughs> I mean, look, if you look at all of his minor league numbers, I mean, he well, he gave up. It looks like some home runs in double A for the Orioles, but still, I mean, I he, mean, that almost tells you enough that like, how did he even get to double A to begin with? 
Well, he he's able to get out minor leaguers, but the major leaguers aren't fooled by it, and they're crushing it. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know what particularly you know what what he's throwing that's that's doing that. But um, yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, I mean, this is really more of the same. He had you know one season in 2015 where he was pretty good, mostly out of the bullpen, entirely out of the bullpen. I mean, but besides that, he has not been very good in any of his seasons. <laughs> no, and he's been one of those guys that's been you know when he was back when he was still starting. Um, there was always some some hype with him that he might. Yeah, oh, like this is this out. is the season that Mattis is you know is is putting it all together. But you know he's another guy that gives up a ton of fly balls, and if he's not striking guys out, you know that's more more balls in play, and that's more home runs over the fence. So maybe he just needs to get traded to the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. Well, we've been going for well over an hour now, so why don't we call this? Um, I'll put it up tomorrow as like a supersized episode. Yeah, this is our um, jumbo trade deadline, but it has nothing to do with the trade deadline episode. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, for anyone listening, uh, we do have a bunch more kind of lessons we've learned. So maybe we'll try and spread those out kind of over the course of the rest of the season and some of the off season. Um, you know, some of the lessons we've learned, some of the things we're going to take into next year uh, from this year. Uh, yeah, so uh, it, it's been fun doing this for uh, over an hour and 15 minutes now, <laughs> which is by far our longest episode. So for everyone out there that's still listening, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. Have a good night.